The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. How do you cultivate inner peace and mental clarity in your life? Hey, listeners, welcome to In the Arena. I'm Jackie Goldberg. And I'm Leah Smart. And today we are joined by Diego Perez, also known as Young Pueblo, who is the author of the book Inward, which was written about the journey of healing yourself. So I heard about the book from, I think, an interview that you did or something like that, but started following him on Instagram and was seeing, you know, the post of pieces of the book and felt like every time I saw a new post, I was really blown away. Jackie, you know, bought the book. And so I think both of us felt like it was really something that spoke to our hearts. And so we wanted to talk to Diego about where it came from, how we can go on this journey of healing ourselves and finding inner peace. And so we are joined by him today to get to know him and talk about Inward and some of his other ventures. Thank you both so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, We are so happy to have you. So Diego Perez is his real name and Young Pueblo is your pen name. Do you want to tell us really quickly where Young Pueblo comes from? Yeah, definitely. So Young Pueblo is sort of like me combining my Americanness with my um, Ecuadorianness. So I was born in Ecuador, and Pueblo there in Spanish is a word that's commonly used to refer to like the masses of impoverished people. And young is just like stylistically, I just dropped the O, and it just means the word young. So it literally means young people. And I use it, you know, not as a descriptor of me, but it's a a description that serves to sort of put my all of my writing within this certain like body of work. When I started meditating, it really sort of hit me that all of humanity is very young. We have a lot of maturing to do. And even when you think back to like the simplest things that our teachers were trying to teach us in kindergarten, right? Like clean up after ourselves, to tell the truth, to not hit each other, to generally be kind to one another. These are really sort of fundamental things that we need to understand and be able to practice to be, become more mature. And some of us as individuals may be able to do that, but humanity as a whole is struggling with these really basic fundamentals. So collectively, as a united humanity, we have a lot of maturing to do. And I think that whole, like, you know, I try to write within that framework. And I think a lot of people are doing great work to try to help humanity mature. So I think of Young Pueblo as that, like, you know, little other tiny thing that's helping humanity forward. Yeah. Wow. What an incredible metaphor. And we are going to hear a lot about that today, because I know that is such a basis of your book is inner healing and inner transformation can help the collective and, and create that global peace that we talk about. You know, this this book inward, you know, it's a little bit of poetry. It's little, you know, anecdotes and essay. And, you know, just for our listeners, I read this book, I read one page or I read it front to cover in a sitting and it just hits me. Like it hits my heart. Like I, I make a sound sometimes, like I'll read a page and then I'll be like, wow, the impact is incredible. So we're so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. But before we get started, we have a tradition on In the Arena. We like to do some rapid fire speed dating questions just to get to know you a little bit before we go into the formal interview. So I'll kick us off if you're, if you're ready. Our first question is, who do you look up to? 
I really look up to, I think there's two people really in my life, these two teachers of meditation who have both passed away, S.N. Goenka and his teacher, Sayaji Ubaken. They both had extraordinary levels of wisdom and I really admire them. Awesome. And was S.N. Goenka who you did your first Vipassana with? Yeah, so I I, um, I meditate in, in the Goenka tradition. I never personally met S.N. Goenka, but I was taught by his assistant teachers and, and himself. Yeah, we have his recordings and all of that. Yeah, very cool. Okay. We'll want to talk more about Vipassana. I'm, I was, I'm curious about, about it. It's always been on my bucket list. And then, Diego, what is your first trip post-COVID or when travel? I don't even know if there's a post-COVID. Yeah, when it feels safe. I think, honestly, I think I'm going to go to Puerto Rico first. I love the Caribbean so much. So I'm from Ecuador and like, right, that's in South America. I think I really just want to spend some rejuvenating time by the ocean. I love the ocean so much and I haven't seen the ocean in a long time, but that's okay. I'll be patient. (laughs) (laughs) This is a test of patience. Definitely. Globally. Yeah. I love Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico sounds so nice right now. (sighs) Okay. So next question, what is your morning routine? Uh, My morning routine is I wake up, I brush my teeth, use the bathroom, and then I go and meditate for an hour. And then after that, I'll you know, start writing and, or, you know, answering emails or doing what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Follow up question there. Do you meditate more than once a day or is that hour your meditation time? And then you're, you're good to the following day. Every day, I think for like, I think more than five years, I meditate two hours a day, one hour in the morning and one hour in the evening. Nice. Yeah. I think that is serious dedication and like an amazing dedication to an amazing practice. I think I've, I've dabbled in the like longer term kind of meditations and, uh, and, pretty powerful after you get past the mind and the mind's thoughts and trying to take you off on a whole other journey. Cool. And then what's your favorite home cooked meal? Oh, I've really been into just like a lot, just roasted vegetables, just like roasted food in general. I love the simplicity of just like cutting a bunch of stuff up, putting it in the oven and, you know, seasoning seasoning it all well, and then not worrying about it for 40 minutes and then it's all done. (laughs) That is my favorite part about roasting too. I'm like, open open the oven. It's a surprise that tastes good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My wife and I just take turns, but it's, it's, I love that. The oven's been, that's a great invention. Love it. Cool. All right. So, so let's, let's jump in a little bit more. And as Jackie said, you know, this book inward is a pretty short book. It's poetry and essays that you can read, you know, front to, you know, cover to cover, or you can read, you know, one day at a time, but there was a whole journey that led to Diego writing this book. And so Diego, I'd love for you to share just what were some of the experiences for, for those who might not know about the book or know about you that led you to writing this? Yeah, I um I think the funny thing about that book, it was really I wrote that at a point in my life where I was sort of like building the foundation, my like inner foundation for the rest of my life. Like that was a time when I, you know, started meditating 2 hours a day. When I started, when I decided that I didn't want to, you know, consume drugs and alcohol anymore. Not not not, not saying that everybody has to do that or anything like that, but For me personally, I kind of hit a point where I was like, oh, this is not serving me anymore. So I want to just like live life and, um, you know, not fall to those attachments because they really just weren't doing anything for me. And I was sort of just kind of like really like I had been on this long journey towards cleaning up my life. Like before that, I was, you know, dabbling in like hard drugs and I was pretty, you know, quite pretty depressed and really dominated by my anxiety. But when I started 
when I did my first Vipassana course in 2012 and the courses that I did after that, it sort of just started that whole, like, you know, the journey really began to deconditioning the mind and helping me undo these very thick habit patterns that were just so deeply ingrained in the subconscious of the mind. And once my mind felt, you know, had more clarity, had more peace, I was able to start being creative and just start like really kind of taking a look at all of my habits and dealing with like major ones one at a time. But yeah, that inward itself, it was, it was basically all written in, in Crown Heights. Like I lived in Crown Heights at the time. And um, I remember a lot of the poems were written while I was at Prospect Park, like, you know, after I had written my, ridden my bike to go there and I would take time to just like sit by the lake there and try to, you know, let it really let the poems like either mature or settle in before I really wrote them down. But it was a, it was a great time, really formative. I love hearing like, I, because we both live in New York City, just hearing you say you're at Prospect Park, I'm like, oh, I can totally envision what that was like. How cool is that, that you were doing that in the park? And it, literally, people were probably walking by you and had no clue you're writing this like incredible book. <laughs> yeah, I was just like hammering away at my on my phone. A lot of the things that I actually write, like I, I scarcely use pen and paper, but I mostly just take notes on my phone. Yeah, and just um, in different little places around Crown Heights. Cool. Will you tell us too, just for anyone who doesn't know, uh, what is Vipassana and and maybe just a little bit of what that experience was like for you? Yeah, totally. So Vipassana is, it's an insight practice that originates from the Buddhist teaching. It is really set up for you to, you know, liberate yourself from suffering, from the suffering that you cause yourself in your own mind. It really just helps you essentially purify the mind on a very deep level, you know, of all this really thick conditioning that you've accumulated over time. And, but Vipassana, you learn it at these, so there's a lot of different Vipassana traditions, but the one that I'm a part of is the Essanguenka tradition. And to learn it, you need to go away to these silent 10 day courses. And it's based, those 10 day courses are basically like a giant, you know, hundred hour guided meditation where they're, you know, every day they're telling you like, different, you know, ways to meditate. They teach you like three particular meditations. They teach you Anapana. They teach you Vipassana, which is the bulk of what's really purifying your mind and the practice that you're mainly using. And then they also teach you how to practice metta, loving kindness at the very end of the course. It just helps you live a happier, freer life and to get really serious about, you know, your personal development. Mm. One of the quotes that you have in your book, I'm going to read it verbatim, is I closed my eyes to look inward and found a universe waiting to be explored. Mm. And, you know, your journey has been, you know, really started with meditation and something that you practice, you know, today. When thinking about looking inward, I'm really curious, like, can can someone heal and transform without meditating? Like, is there a way to find that clarity and peace without practicing meditation? Or is that the way? No, I would say, I mean, people have very, very different conditioning, right? So like there's three of us here, but all of our emotional histories are starkly different. We've all experienced very different things. So it's important to understand that different techniques will work for different people. So like for me, meditating works great and it helps me, you know, work at a pretty deep, deep level of the mind. And I think that's one of the special things about Vipassana that working at the subconscious level really gets to the root of the matter. But then there, you know, pe- some people have experienced such serious traumas that 
that might not be what will help them if to go to the very root of the mind. You know, it, it might bring up too many things at once. So there are other approaches that might reach other levels of the mind that just fit them a bit better. So what I try to encourage people is that, you know, if they want to meditate, great, but then there's tons of different types of meditation. But if they don't even feel like meditating, that doesn't mean that you can't make progress. There's so many different forms of therapies, you know, working with a great therapist can make a gigantic difference. Then there's other like somatic experiences that you can have that can really sort of help you push forward and become in touch with the present moment. I think what's so special about the time period that we live in today is that we live in a globalized world. So we have the best of the Eastern world and the Western world, you know, whether it's like different um, spiritual or meditation practices or different Western therapy practices that can just help you, you know, really allow that best version of yourself to come forward. So I think anyone can make progress, but it's really about finding something that meets you where you're at and something that connects with your intuition and then just have putting in that effort and staying committed. I love that you share this piece of the different techniques and finding what works is something that is fascinating for me is, you know, I grew up Christian and, you know, originally it was like, that was the religion I was meant to be. And I never knew that I could do something else until I started listening to the fact that my gut was saying, this isn't the only thing. This isn't the only way. And so I, uh, you know, I was was sharing earlier with you, you know, I've been studying Kabbalah for over a year and, and pretty dedicated to that. And I'm fascinated by so many other things like Buddhism, Sufism. You know, I, I think about the things I've tried. I, you know, I, tapping has been a really powerful thing for me or EFT, if you haven't heard of, of emotional freedom technique. My belief is that there is no one size fits all for any of us. If we live in this globalized world, why can't we go kind of pick from the buffet and say, this works for me. And it doesn't matter if I'm, you know, not supposed to be studying this, or if like people wouldn't think that I would belong to this thing. It's just about what kind of heals you. I love that because you can also, you know, when you start off on your journey, and then you develop a certain degree of either determination or you get to know yourself better, then you can start feeling like your intuition is guiding you towards a new technique or something that's a little deeper. Like my journey really started with radical honesty. I realized that I spent a lot of time lying to myself. So like for the whole, for the whole year before I did my first Vipassana course, I wasn't practicing anything other than just being honest with myself. And that honesty sort of set me up to not only, you know, be much more in touch with my emotions, whether they were, you know, difficult or, you know, that you're more like average type daily emotions, but just being there with myself and not running away became such an important character builder that then I was late, like later on, I was, I felt much more prepared to, to meditate. You said in the, it's just reminded me of something you said in the book, you said, I kept running away from my darkness until I understood that in it, I would find my freedom. I just was like, oh, I am, was so that person that was running away from what I feared I would find in the dark. What did you find there? Like, I know you found your freedom, but like, tell us about, tell us about that. Cause so many people I think are afraid of, of going there for fear. They won't come back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it feels quite scary. But um, I think that's what especially in my college years, I, that's really what I was doing was just like running away from all of the darkness, like whatever, any hard, difficult, turbulent emotion that I felt within me, I would 
use that as a signal to then try to externalize myself, to try to like hang out more with friends, you know, spend more like pleasurable moments, either like, you know, like smoking weed or like trying to, you know, go to more parties or just like play more video games or do some, you know, just doing more and more and more things that brought the sensation of pleasure to my body. And really, I was just running as fast as I could away from myself. That really led me to into hitting a wall because my my whole being was demanding attention. And was that, that was really the only way for me to, you know, allow whatever was sort of knotted up inside of me to, to unravel itself and, you know, go away. I want to go back to this this thought of radical honesty for a moment, because what I love about that is that it's not a tool or technique that you're seeking from outside, like a therapist and or meditation or a teacher, but it's looking within to find something that you are open about working on for yourself because you know it will do yourself wonders and to and anyone can do that. That is accessible to anyone, which which I really, really love. How does one find that within themselves? Like how does one do they have to do you have to go through a certain amount of work to find that? Or is it just getting that inner peace or inner calm and clarity to to wake up? Like it's like because for you, you know, your experience was you did I don't want to say you hit rock bottom, but there there was, you know a bottom for you that then you realize you want to go up. How does, does someone need to get to that rock bottom or is it? I don't think so because my, my wife who is also really committed to the inner journey and she's a very serious meditator. She also meditates two hours a day. She never hit rock bottom, but she knew that she could feel better. <laughs> she, knew, <laughs> she knew that she could, you know, be happier, be freer and all of that. I think when I sort of, when I personally hit, the extreme of my rock bottom, I noticed that the the primary like thing that pushed me in that direction was just me being unable to accept the fact and be with the fact that I didn't feel good. So there was just so much like lying at the very like core bottom of my mind where I couldn't be okay with like, you know, not feeling good. I couldn't just like sit with myself and be like, oh, right. I don't feel great today. That's okay. Like I, you know, it was more so like, I don't feel great. Like, how do I, you know, like remove this right now? And I couldn't even admit that I didn't feel great. So that whole year became just me expressing honesty at different levels of my life. Like at that point, I was like, okay, I need to be honest about the fact that I'm really unhealthy right now. I'm, I'm very unhealthy. Like the habits that, you know, I hadn't gone to the gym in like years. I was eating really poorly. Like I felt horrible, like through and through. So that sort of pushed me to start building that habit of like, you know, adding more nutrition to my diet, like, you know, going on walks, going on runs, and just doing the things that like made my body and my mind feel stronger, and better and lighter. And also just expressing that honesty and like, and not necessarily to like other people, but it was really to myself, it was, you know, starting to just be a lot more observant and just feel how my, my rigidness sort of kept my relationships really static. And they never really allowed them to be deeper. So like with my parents, with my friends, I was realizing that I was sort of caught in a loop where I was like playing a role over and over. And instead of really being present, I just like kept doing the same thing that didn't really amount to like any more anything new. So I had to be honest with myself and say, oh, 
this relationship that I'm struggling in, I could do something different in this relationship. Like I remember with my father, I've always loved him so much, but I realized that there could have, there could be a deeper emotional connection between us. So I was like, oh, well, I, I love him, but I don't tell him that I love him. Let me tell him. And that changed, you know, like it's a whole different relationship now, but I'm just noticing how much, how much I could change in my own life. And that, and because I was behaving differently, it's, you know, started setting out ripples and in the rest of my relationships. It's so interesting because I've had a similar experience where, you know, like affection, for example, was something that I felt like I wanted to bring more of, but I couldn't. I, literally, I, I thought I couldn't, right? And so it's interesting to hear you say even something that small. I think most of the work that Jackie and I talk about or that any of us are doing, we always say like it's simple, but not easy. And so the simplest things are the ones that cause the biggest shifts around us. Yeah. And it's also taking responsibility for everything in our lives, right? And and that to me is looking inward. Where can I do better? What can I do differently? And not placing the onus or the blame on other people or looking externally, but looking within. And that's exactly what you did in that story with your father. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. I want to go back to something that you you asked Jackie about hitting rock bottom. You know, Diego, you shared some of the people you look up to. I think of some of the people I look up to, and many of them have hit rock bottom. Mm. Uh, and I I also feel like I hit a rock bottom, and that was what catapulted me up. And I agree, it's it's not that every single person has to experience it, but God, I'm kind of happy I know what the bottom looks like, <laughs> and I, I never want to go back there again. But it's not dark there anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like you shined a flashlight, and you said I, I was reading a, one of the highlights from your book. Sometimes deeper mental clarity is preceded by great internal storms, mm-hmm. and it's that feeling of like for some people, especially you know, I was similar to you, where I was like partying through most of my twenties and having way too much quote unquote fun, but really it was a cover up to keep from having to heal the parts of me that I needed to heal. And it's sort of like, you know, this feeling of, I think for some of us who seek this external or chase the external gratification sort of is you, you end up at the rock bottom because you have tried and exhausted every other resource to get yourself from, from hitting it. You know, and even going back to that quote, right? Like when you, like, even when you start your healing process and when you start really getting serious about going inward and you find the tool that's going to help you really navigate that path, you're going to find that there will be moments where because you're behaving in new ways towards yourself, you will encounter these moments of tension. Like right before they like fully unravel, like you may feel rather stormy like in my, in my tradition we call them storms where you know you're going so deep within you and you're connecting to all these like you know old accumulations that have been bound up inside of you for such a long time and they'll come up and they'll feel crisp as if it was the first time like a, a very strong emotion or something and they're all temporary and they're part of the process but it's you know just understanding that that's part of the the process and sometimes you know a lot of letting go does happen very silently and quietly. It's more so about presence and just because a lot of people don't realize that by being with yourself in the present moment, you're allowing yourself to heal your past. And when you're really connecting with yourself in that way, that just allows a lot of the old stuff to unbind itself. Yeah. One of our favorite pages is page 67. You have five different questions that literally feel like the Bible to me. But one of the questions is, how do you know if you are attached to something? And the answer is because it creates tension in your mind. 
Oh yeah. So true. I mean, and I, and I even for myself was going back like this morning, what was in my mind? What was I thinking about that was giving me tension? Oh, that's something I can let go of. That's something I need to let go of. Right. And, and, and the presence being present, which is just going back to meditation, right? I've been meditating since 2017. I started after, you know, I went through my divorce and had heard about it and read a little bit about it, but I always felt like, oh, that's not for me. That's, you know, too woo woo or spiritual, but it changed my life. It changed my life. And to the point where 10 minutes a day stopped doing it, I needed to go deeper, right? And now I'm at 20 minutes a day, but I'm looking to expand over time. But for me, it's the presence and just being present. And I love what you said, like being present is healing. It allows you to heal when you be present, which is so powerful. I love that you're bringing that up, right? Because it's so important to understand the idea of letting go at a intellectual level, but it's also happening like at the level of experience. So you can recognize intellectually like, oh, I'm hanging on to a particular thought. I'm attached to this. This is causing tension in my mind. But you could try to let go of it intellectually. But because now, right, for example, like now you're meditating every day. And with a lot of different types of meditations, you are cultivating the ability to be in the present moment, or at least to be focused, right, to be focused on something. And that is the the quality that's going to help you just more so move with the flow as opposed to just like grabbing onto everything and trying to control the things around you. So, you know, letting go, it's not so much like an intellectual process. Like if you really want to let go, you actually have to build the quality of the mind to let go, to actually prepare your mind and to really, you know, have it just embrace the present moment, have it embrace the dynamic aspect of life, have it just really embrace the fact that, things are always going to change. Things are always arising and passing away. And when you can have that, you know, stronger quality of the mind to just embrace the changing reality of, you know, nature, then it'll be much easier to let go. You said before we started and we were we were just doing our, our kind of intros, you said something beautiful that was that most people view themselves as a rock, but you view yourself and your identity as a river. Can you just say more about that? Like, what is it like to experience that? And how can we all get a taste of, of something so that sounds so powerful and the ability to just be more fluid in life? Yeah, I mean, it takes it takes time to build. And I don't think it's anything that's particularly special. But when I've been under what I've been understanding from meditating, right through direct experiences, you literally you're, you know, sort of exploring the entire universe within your own body, right? Not just your personal emotional history and what you've gone through, but really like how does this entire system that we live in work? And at the very most foundational point, it's built on impermanence. Things are just changing constantly. And when you're able to feel that degree of change, you know, because it's happening at the mental level, it's happening at the atomic level, it's happening at the biological level, it's just it's happening so rapidly, all of this change, that when you understand that, you start seeing like, right, like I'm not this static, hard being at the, at the core of what I am. There's fluidity there. There's change there. There's movement. And I think taking that to like my regular sort of conventional life, because that's sort of like an ultimate level truth, like really understanding the fact of impermanence. But then at the conventional level of just everyday life, it allows your sense of identity to just be much more fluid and you know, because you can, you know, think about who you were 
in 2015. Like, right. That's been like a very radical change from who you are now. And it's not, I remember when I was growing up, so many people would pride themselves on the fact that they would say, I'm never going to change, you know? And to me, I'm like, well, that's just one, it's impossible. You're, you're going to change whether you want to or not, or whether you want to or not. But also, if you embrace change, that's going to make your life so much easier because there will be moments where difficult situations will come and they'll hit at your life very hard. So will you be sort of static and you'll take a greater sense of that hit or will you allow yourself to be fluid so that you can function with the situation and around it and keep moving forward? Right. Because the external circumstances are always changing and are not in our control. But what Mm -hmm. is in our control is how we respond to them and how we are with them. Right. And that is like the evolution of change. You know, you have a quote in the book. I'm not sure when I will be completely free and healed, but I do know I will feel it more clearly than anything else I have ever felt in my life. Are you referring to enlightenment here? And are you like, and and just thinking about this sense of self as being fluid, right? We always say, you know, I want to be my best self. I want to be my truest self, but looking at it, at it as a non-rigid form, how do you know when you are, completely healed and free and are you completely healed and free no no i'm not (laughs) i have a lot of things to work on i'm glad that you brought up that no one has ever asked me about that poem so that one is really a that's like a call to the to like the people who are really serious especially to like my fellow meditators like because so just to be really honest with you like healing and freedom they move together side by side for a long time you know, that you will continue healing yourself. But then freedom, freedom sort of hits at, it hits at the cornerstone of the human mind. The fact that, you know, what the Buddha pointed out, that your, your suffering is caused by your craving. And that the same way that you can experience so much suffering over and over and over again, just like everything else in the universe, that can also end. That there is a possibility of, of ending suffering, of, you know, extinguishing craving. So to me, it's, you know, it's sort of me just honoring the fact that I'm on the path and that I'm, I'm trying my best to move forward and that I'm not fully free. But one day I'm sure that when, you know, whenever I get there, whether in this life or the next or however, however things work out, I'm pretty sure it'll be crystal clear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved that too. And I, I think we all sort of, if you're in this work and, you know, I'm also a, a, a very regular meditator, you know, I've had these experiences of feeling like I'm not in my body or like I am totally in touch with something greater out there. And it's just, it's like a different experience from the self and the everyday of us just even sitting here having this conversation. And so one of the things that, that, I loved about your book is you talked a lot about self-love and that's an incredibly valuable thing because we do still have the self. We are, none of us are perfectly free yet, right? We still have the ego. You even said, you know, I started speaking my truth when being free became more important than guarding the fear of my ego. And so I, I'm like, I, I feel like we're all dancing between the ego and the like higher self, but on the ego level, can you talk a little bit about self-love? Because the the experience I have is you can't do a lot of these things until you do love yourself at that ego and spiritual level. Yeah, I think, you know, I one of the things that I really love about social media is that it feels like humanity is having a conversation with itself. And I remember at that time when I was really 
thinking about self-love. It was the same time everybody was thinking about it. And that was the period around, I think, 2015 to 2016. A lot of people were thinking about this idea of self-love and they were defining it for themselves. And I thought, okay, just like everybody else, let me see what this word means in my life. Is this something that I can actually activate in my life? And is this something that's helpful? And when I started thinking about self-love, I really would define it as doing what you need to do to heal yourself. And so it's not, to me, it's not just about, you know, giving yourself what you want because it's such a slippery slope into just, you know, feeding your, feeding yourself your cravings because then like, that's also not going to help you because that it's too easy to fall into an extreme there. But if you use the energy of self-love as a motivator to turn that lens inward and to really start, you know, having that practice of acceptance towards whatever comes up to just accept the roughest parts of yourself as the other parts of yourself that you're more so inclined towards accepting. So just accepting everything. I think that's real self-love and that really helps the inner journey just kickstart and move forward. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Why do people... I'm just curious, like, why do people not do this? Like, there's, you know, your book, I'm sure, speaks to so many, and there are some that may be afraid to even open the pages and, and really take it in. What are your thoughts on that? Is it that we're all at different level spiritually? Are we all like, are some of us just not interested in it? I mean, I, I can think of people and I'm sure we all can who are like, I'm not into that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I, I love that you asked that because it's, you know, I, I, at one point, I really think it's, it's just about the fact of not knowing, right? Like it's, it's hard to be introspective if no one, if no one is teaching you to be introspective. If no, you know, if your parents don't have an introspective practice and their parents don't have an introspective practice, and it just goes on for like for hundreds of years like that, then yeah, it's something really new that's happening to the world where so many people are taking this healing journey seriously. But what I really want to try to demonstrate, not just with like, with my work, but just like whenever, whenever I do things, like it's true, a lot of these healing modalities do emerge out of lineages that we should respect, we shouldn't try to appropriate these things. 
But at the same time, understand that trying to set this side, this like idea of knowing yourself as something spiritual, well, that's not, that's not really necessarily true. Like you should understand that if you want to know yourself, if you want to know how to use your mind, if you want to have a better relationship with your emotions, like these are just aspects of life, right? Like you should know how to use your mind because that will not only, you know, help you have a better life and be more productive and, and generally just come up with better solutions to old problems. But, you know, to me, it's like, I can see it classified as spiritual, but I can also just see it classified as life. I love that you, you brought up learning or being taught about introspection, because this is something I'm really passionate about is bringing mindfulness into schools and education systems. And I'm loving the movement that we're seeing now in terms of schools, really bring it into pre-K and kindergarten classes and and learning how to go inward. And something you had shared on a podcast that you did with Dan Harris, uh, 10% Happier, was you didn't come from a family that was, you know, particularly introspective. And I love how you talk about in present day, I think he asked you, like, do they, how do they react to you? Or how do they accept you? And you said, well, I'm a better person. I'm a better version of myself. So yes, (laughs) that impacts them, right? And so when they see that, they, how can they say otherwise when I'm showing up better than I ever have before, which is so powerful. I'm curious around these cravings, you know, that you talk about, because, you know, there's, there's a beautiful quote, and clearly this is something that stuck with me, because when I asked before about the healing, you said you've never been asked that before. But I also have another quote that goes with this, is freedom is happening every moment when we are not craving something more, which is oh, just so beautiful. But how do cravings and habits relate? Because you do talk a lot about releasing habits that aren't doing you service, right? Or aren't serving you well. Are these similar to attachments, similar to cravings? How would you kind of describe the three? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think when we're not self-aware, it's very easy for our craving to dictate how we live our lives. It's so easy for our cravings to just kind of like have this like silent manipulation within us that will basically just formulate the rest of our life. Like I think when I think back to my own life, it was my craving that led me to just, you know, because craving, we, we call it fear, but right, fear is also the craving to be away from, to, to be away from something. So you're running away from something. And I think that that craving of just wanting more and more pleasure quickly formed and crystallized into these really sort of rough habits. But habits can be, you know, their initial motivator can be, it can be something like craving, or it can be your pursuit of freedom, right? Because in the pursuit of freedom, you're going to have to develop really good, powerful qualities. You're gonna have to be more patient, more loving, more honest, have more determination, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have to have build these qualities. So habits can really work in any way, but you really have to find what is the source of this habit? Like, is this source of the habit is it wholesome or is it something that's really just coming from you know i don't know one of the dark places in my mind there's an interesting similarly in kabbalah there's an interesting concept of restriction which is when you have a craving essentially they say to you or my kabbalah teacher has said what's the opposite of what you want to do or what's in your nature right and so it's like for example you know if i want 
a glass of wine, the opposite is not to have it. Or if I want my like daily cookie, the opposite is not to have it. And the other, the thing that's been really powerful for me is taking it a step further because I'm very, I am very intellectual. And so I need to kind of get it. And what I've gotten is, wow, when I want that thing, it has nothing at all to do with that thing. (laughs) I want love. Yeah. Or I want peace or I want calm. Like they're completely different desires that can be created without anything external, but that we've learned, right? Like in the same same kind of vein as Jackie sharing, you know, what do our families teach us? What do our what do our lineages teach us? You know, how do we essentially remove some of these patterns, you know, in, in the in our lineage or in ourselves that have come up because of the ways that we've decided to heal or quiet our cravings. I also, I just want to make sure to, to be clear, because a lot of times, so the human mind has this nasty habit of swaying from extreme to extreme. So we're talking about cravings, but that doesn't mean that you can't have preferences in your life. That doesn't mean that you can't have goals, right? It's all about, can I move forward in life with a balanced approach so that I'm not making my happiness a future outcome, right? Like, why can't I be happy now in the process of living? And yes, I do have these goals, but that's very different from craving something, right? If you're like craving a particular outcome, then you're feeling tension from the moment you created that craving and all the way through, and then even worse when you don't get what you want. But having a goal is very different. It's much more balanced. It's much more strategic. It's like, okay, right. I do want to accomplish this with my life or with my business or whatnot, but how can I get there without causing myself so much tension on the way there. And also when I don't get what I want, then then let me go back to the drawing board and figure out how can I do this better? How can I keep, you know, chipping away at this situation that I want to improve or whatnot? So that you can, you know, move forward successfully in life without having cravings or being driven by your cravings. You can have goals and you can have preferences. That's such a great point because I'm thinking about like, your what you said, Diego, was how things come from a desire or come from, you know, where they come from, right? And so I think a lot about like, is this coming from a desire, which, you know, I is from is from the Latin root of from the father or from the stars. Mm. So it's, it means that it's coming from your higher self versus like the material wants that we have. And so I'm, I think about that a lot is why am I doing this? Where is it coming from? And how can I essentially align as much as I can to the things that come from a real place? But the other thing you share is outcomes, right? And so we get so attached to the outcome of something, right? Like, like I, how many times have I heard a friend or myself use the phrase, oh, I hope it works out? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't even really know. We just know we want the thing we want to happen perfectly. And that to us means it will work out. But my, my Kabbalah teacher has also said to me, he said, effort is the spiritual currency of this world. Mm. And so I forget that sometimes. But when I come back to it, I'm like, oh, right, it's not the outcome. How do you, I mean, how have you over the last few years really worked on your attachment to outcome, certainty, control, and expectations? It's such a deeply ingrained pattern. It's, you know, I, (laughs) it's so deep in there, but I think when I do my work, I think one of the best, best ideas that helped me sort of like streamline everything was just understanding that one poem, one, one thing is not going to make or break you, right? So if you put one thing out there and it falls flat, that's fine. But then, you know, you keep trying and you keep sort of honing your voice and you keep figuring out 
you know, how can I make this message reach people, you know, either at a wider range of people or have the people that it does affect much more profoundly. But I think just understanding that, like, literally being aware that this is happening. And I think it's so easy for it to just fly under the radar and you're just not not noticing the fact that, like, you're not getting the result, then there's tension, and then you're ruining your day, and then you're being mean to the people around you, and then you're, like, you know, setting yourself up for a worse next day. So this, like, when you can see this, like, long pattern emerging, then you can figure out, okay, where am I going to cut it, right? At what point am I going to like kind of chip away at this? So one of the practices that, not a particular practice, but just something that I'm trying to like emulate in my life is that when I do feel tension, I try not to share it with others. And I I can be honest with like, you know, like, and not share it in the sense like, oh, I'm going to be mean to the people around me. Like oftentimes I will, you know, let my wife know, oh, I don't feel good today right? So that she knows and I know, and she doesn't need to do anything about it. But then if for some reason, I say something a little curt or something like that, she's like, Oh, right, like, you know, you're you're like, you already are going through something and she'll do the same thing. Like, before the pandemic era, we had this one, you know, she would come home from work, and she would immediately let me know what her emotional status was. She'd be like, I don't feel good today. And I'm like, great. So I know, Like, I do feel good. So it's my turn to step it up. You know, maybe I can do more of the cooking or I can do more of the cleaning. And I'll, you know, like, we don't necessarily need to talk about very heavy, heavy topics. But it's sort of like a signal that if you're with another person, it just sort of supports a greater harmony. But if you're also by yourself, signal it to yourself, like, I need more like loving kindness to myself today. Like, I need to treat myself more gently if I don't feel well. I think these things can really, really make a difference. It's so important. And everything you're saying just speaks so much to me because I've I've dealt with this attachments. I mean, we all have, right? You said it's in our core. And so it's something that we all have to overcome. But being self-aware, being honest with ourselves and then sing, signaling to ourselves and others, because what happens is if you're not those things, then you take it out on other people, right? Yeah. What I love about what you said is like, you know, when you realize for yourself and you signal to yourself and then sharing with your wife about your emotional status and her with you, you're taking ownership of it. You're owning it and you're going inward versus outward, which is just so, such an important life lesson. Wow. And I love that. There's one pretty particular habit where like, and my wife and I have both noticed it within ourselves and other people have noticed it as well in themselves. But when you feel that tension, so quickly does that tension not want to become your responsibility and you want to actually blame it on someone else. <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. And I, I love this one moment. My wife, she had finished meditating and something was coming up in her. And then she later, like I think a few hours later, told me she was laughing. She was like, I spent so much time trying to figure out how that was your fault. And it had <laughs> nothing to do with you. <laughs> but it's so funny how like, you just like the mind is like, I don't want to be responsible for these emotions. It's someone else's fault. It's so much easier to yeah. just put it on someone else than yeah. own yeah. it because when you own it, it 
hurts a little bit. You have to face it. And that's what's hard. And that's what's hard about this work. There's something funny Brene Brown says. She's like, and I always remember this when I heard it. It's blame is discharging discomfort onto others. And so I, for the first year of learning it, I was like, oh my God, I'm discharging discomfort onto someone else. (laughs) Comfort onto Jackie or onto my dog or whatever it is. And you realize how often, again, it's the wiring of like, I want to push this out. I want to feel happy. So if I can find someone to pin it down to, then it gets to be their fault and I get to release it. And you don't, right? It's, it's, you still got the poison and the discomfort inside of you. Yeah. Right. And, and the work is, is the practice is making it consistent is in those little micro moments of life. I like to say where you get to practice this in every relationship with yourself and others. I want to pivot for a moment because, you know, you have here, our self-love is a medicine for our earth. And you talk a lot about this around inner healing, inner transformation, helping serve others. And and collectively, if we all did the work on ourselves, how we can really elevate the consciousness of the universe and or our earth, right? And can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, I really see self-love as a gateway. It can really help introduce yourself to yourself. Like you'll, you can start learning about yourself through self-love. But then it picks up and it becomes a really, you know, it deepens, it becomes a much more powerful journey. And when, especially when you pick up, you know, some healing technique, whether you want to work in meditation, or you want to work with a therapist, or you find some, you know, like what you were mentioning, tapping, or, you know, there's so many different valuable things that are actually giving people real results. When you start taking that journey seriously, I think one of the most common things that happens is that there's the unraveling of human habit. And so much of what we think is human nature is actually human habit. It's really, you know, all that craving, all that fear, all that aversion, all that hate. So many people who've taken the inner journey seriously, what they find is that all of this kind of just starts unraveling. And there's a very natural emergence of much more love, you know, compassion, a greater sense of, you know, being able to listen to each other and more you know, your real sort of core human nature is allowed to come forward in a very powerful, effective way. And when your human nature is bubbling up, right, you have much more love, much more sympathetic joy. This is going to help you have a different level of mental clarity. And this is going to allow your mind to have so much more creativity. And I think this is where the transformational point happens, where not only are you using this creativity and this energy to transform your personal life, but you're actually using it to transform the way that you shape your business, the way that you interact with your coworkers, the way that you, you know, move about politically in the world or the way or who you decide to support politically or the, or, or how you behave in your community. So when more and more people are able to activate their self-love, deeply heal themselves, peel back the layers of human habit and allow their human nature to come forward, then we're going to have this greater force that's going to be a very, very positive transformative, like, you know, energy that we really need in the world. I think that's so beautifully said. Human nature is actually human habit. I had never thought of it in that way, but it's, it's empowering, right? Because when we learn about human nature, we're like, oh, well, that's just me. Yeah, we're just greedy, we're just greedy people. <laughs> I get to, it, it's a permission slip to do everything that I... Yeah, and it's really, it's a strong, strong, strong habit. You can peel back the layers, but when you look at who are the people that we look up to? Who are the people who are the, you know, the heroes of humanity? Like they were people who spend periods reflecting on themselves, 
who took their inner journey really seriously. And then they were able to be incredibly selfless and loving. They allowed their human, real human nature, which will not emerge unless you put in the work, they allowed that to lead them. And I think if more and more people can be led through that more clearer, real energy, the world's going to change radically. Do you have bad meditation days, Diego? Because we were talking about how you sit for two hours and I'm thinking of people who are going, oh my God, I can't even sit for two hours. <laughs> yeah, some days it's incredibly rough. Like my mind's not, you know, pristine and clear all the time. So some days it's really rough, other days it's not. But I think the, you know, it's it's not so much about getting caught up in the experience of what's happening, but it's in the act of like practicing more, you know, more presence, like more equanimity, more just like being there with whatever's coming up. It's just a giant practice and acceptance. You know, whatever's happening in this moment, I'm here with it. But yeah, I definitely have good days and bad days, just like everybody else. So you're what you're saying and what I'm what I'm going to extrapolate, or maybe project is the work is never done. Yeah. And I think it depends, you know, it depends on what your your goals are and the lineage that you're a part of, because like different, different traditions will have different aims and in different places that they go to. So depending on what you're positioning yourself in, then, you know, then that 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 can really help give your mind a trajectory. But for a lot of people, yeah, the work continues, it is a lifelong journey, but you can make profound strides in your personal healing. So go for it. Diego, this has been incredible. I have so many notes. I can't wait to listen to this episode again once we release it. And I've learned so much from you and I'm sure Leah has as well. Is there anything we didn't cover today that you want to make sure our listeners know or any topics that we didn't cover? There's one tiny thing. Yeah. And just in terms of like the more conventional world, nobody told me that I could write a book. And I really encourage, you know, creative people or just anyone who wants to do something and, you know, you don't need permission from anybody to go do it. So be bold and, and allow yourself to make mistakes along the way. If you embrace the fact that you don't know everything, like you don't need to pretend that you're an expert, you know, you can just be honest and be like, this is, I know I've learned some things, but I have a lot more to learn as well, you know, but you can still go forward and create something beautiful that's going to serve other people well. Awesome. And that's exactly what you've done. So I'm sure you've inspired so many people to be accepting of the desires they have and not be trapped by what the conventional world says we can or cannot do. So thank you for setting that example for people everywhere. Yeah, likewise with you two as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been amazing. Like Jackie said, I won't reiterate 50 times. But for those of you listening, if you are curious about Inward, I don't know how you wouldn't be at this point. But if you're curious about Inward, you can find it on Amazon under Young Pueblo Inward really cool cover, by the way, and really cool the way you formulated the book. I was I was so curious, and we didn't get to touch on this, but the pages are so cool, where some pages have one line, and other pages have others, and the placement. I was like, there's calculation behind this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Inward is on Amazon, and um, Diego also let us know, which is really exciting, that he's got a new book coming. It's Clarity and Connection, right? Mm-hmm. Fantastic coming in April, as well as some essays that he's done for Audible coming in January. And then also just being part of the conversation. Amazingly, Diego is really active on Twitter, on Instagram. So you can find him under Young Pueblo on Twitter and Y-U-N-G underscore Pueblo on Instagram. 
soon to be lots more coming on LinkedIn. So get ready for him to start the conversation there and bring some of these amazing global concepts to the working world. And we are so happy again to all of our listeners to have you on this journey. Uh, Really exciting to have this conversation and start opening ourselves and hopefully more people up to that journey of going inward. So if you want more of In the Arena, it's on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and we will see you all next time. Have a great day, everyone. 